The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 19. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, where the field that Jacob had given to his son Jacob. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, Music Row, the artist formerly known as In Town. Uh, uh, So... Uh, I've been wanting to say that all week. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) glad to be here um, to talk about this story that I love so much because it shows us how precious Jesus is, how wonderful he is for us right now, present tense. It seems as though Jesus is meditating on a variety of scriptures. Uh, Obviously, he, he is the word made flesh, as John 1 tells us, but he also knew the Bible Uh, perfectly. He would have memorized it as a Jewish boy. uh, And passages like Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13. And so just hear hear the echoes of this, what you just heard read. Jeremiah 2 13 says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me the the spring of living water and have dug their own cisterns, that is reservoirs broken cisterns that cannot hold water. My people have committed two sins. They've left me the spring of living water, and then they've gone and tried to quench their own thirst, the thirst in their soul, apart from me. So it's not just that we live apart from God. It's not that we just live alienated 
from God. But the problem really is, is also that we try to take care of that thirst on our own. And we have to deal with the thirst. You don't have a choice. Like you, you're born with a thirst and you have to deal with it. Every human being in this room and every human being that's ever lived has a profound thirst, longing for life. And the problem is, it's not just that we've left God, yes, but that we have broken ways of trying to deal with that brokenness. And that's where this woman is, and that's where I am, and that's where you are. I don't want to presume to, to tell you how you're feeling. I do that sometimes, like, this is what you're... I but if you're a human, you know the chaos of trying to make your life work. If you're a human, you know what it means to be guilty and ashamed and sad and hurt. And so that's what we have uh, in this passage today. We have, we have three points. The first is um, our chaotic thirst. Our chaotic thirst. And then the second is the deep love of Jesus that meets us in our chaotic thirst. And then so what do we do with that? Chaotic thirst, deep love of Jesus, so what? Those are the three points. Let's go. The chaotic thirst of this woman, and we can get it just by doing like a bio sketch, just a sketch of just what the text tells us about her and just some what we can also just put together what we know about uh, who she was and where she was from. The first thing we need to know about this lady and the chaos of her life was um, she was despised. Not just individually, she was part of a despised race of people. The Samaritans were referred to by the Jews as dogs, Samaritan dogs. And the Bible's written from the perspective of the Jew. And so the Samaritan, the people, the Samaritan, what she is, who she is, would have been seen as this, um, this mixed race, half Israelite um, person who had, for 500 years, had their own version of, they had their own sort of knockoff version of Judaism. They had their own temple. They had their own, they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. And so it was sort of seen as like a wannabe or an off-brand version of like the true thing. And the Jews hated them for this. So she would have known what Jesus thought about her. Because this is entrenched, generational, institutionalized prejudice. That's why she says, why are you asking me for water? You hate me, and I hate you. So she's, so get this. So, so as an identity, as a people group, she's despised. She's not the good ones, right? She's the them. Here's the second thing. She's invisible because she's a woman. Well, another word is marginalized, but I think invisible is better. Listen to what one rabbinical saying comes from around the time of Jesus. Um, one should not talk 
with a woman on the street. Not even with his own wife on the street. Certainly not with someone else's wife because of the gossip of men. It is forbidden to give a woman any greeting. Invisible, despised as a people group, marginalized and invisible. You don't matter. But let's get a little deeper. She's very damaged. She has, she's had five husbands. And I've preached um, this passage and studied this passage. And, and I think incorrectly or unfairly just sort of assigned her as just being like this just sexually immoral person. In fact, we just don't, we don't know that. We know there's sexual immorality, but I don't think that just sums up everything about her. We don't know why she had five husbands, but she had five husbands. That's a lot of marital bliss. Ladies, men, five husbands. And she, here's the point, she couldn't have divorced them. They would have had to divorce her. We don't know why they divorced her. She was abandoned either through divorce or death five times. You feeling that? And yes, she is guilty. She's living with a man right now who's not her husband. And that was seen as definitely immoral. And and she confesses that. She's... Is she a perpetrator? Is she a victim? See, we do that with people. What did, what did they do, right? So if I can find out if they're messed up, what did they do? Then I, they can be invisible to me too. I can just keep moving on because they screwed up. And, it, and like somehow we can tell ourselves I'm all right, but they're not. We can do that thing. Is she victim? Is she a perpetrator? And the answer is yes. She's ashamed that's what she is. And she's broken and she's guilty and she's ashamed and she's invisible and she's despised. And she comes to draw water in the middle of the day. That's why she's all by herself because that's not when anyone ever drew water. In noon, that's the sixth hour. No one did that. That's the hottest part of the day. No one wants to go with her. She doesn't have any friends. She doesn't have any people to go with. She can't go with the other women that are drawing water in the morning or in the evening. She has to go by herself. Here, here's the great word that I was thinking about. Not just chaotic, but deserted. Think about that word. Deserted. Desert-ed. Someone who has been desert-ed. And I was thinking like, she's, she is a desert and she is a storm. Like hurricanes and deserts come in every shape and size, don't they? 
So we can't assign her to some sort of special case and be like, yay, Jesus, for being so gracious because she's so messed up. I'm glad I'm not like that, but wow, you're really great. But if I were, and I'm not, but great for you, Jesus, you're so gracious. It's like, if you really kind of do some work in this passage, what you're left with is something way more complex. That sounds a whole lot, lot more like us. Des- deserted. It sounds a whole lot more like being human. Paul Turnier, who is a, uh, he was a psychologist in the 1940s, he wrote this great book called Guilt and Grace. Here's what he said. He says, nothing makes us so lonely as our secrets. That's what makes you, you know what makes you loneliest? Your secrets. I was listening to a, a sermon by Elliot Cherry, who is a pastor at Midtown 12 South. And he quotes, I'm quoting him because I've never read Martin Heidinger, so I could act smart like Martin Heidinger said. He was a philosopher. But I'm not going to do that because I haven't. But he used this word. He says that humanity feels thrown. The human condition is a state of thrownness. Isn't that a great description? Like you just, you're born, you're thrown out of a plane. What is this? There comes the ground. How do I make sense of this? Thrownness. That's a good description of how I feel. It was almost like this whole party was over before it started. That's like we're sinned against and then we sin against and then there's reciprocity and then before you know it, we're trying to find all these solutions that don't work. So we, we give ourselves to people and, and people mistreat us and we mistreat other people and we give ourselves away and we give ourselves away and we become obsessed with our work. We become obsessed with our stories. We become obsessed with our looks. We never put down our phones. We're con- For me, I'm like constantly snacking. I just like, I need us the, the little Mars, that little, they don't sell Mars bars anymore, but you can get an almond snicker and that's, an almond, that's like a Mars bar. That's like my crack. That's like a mess. Like a constant, there's the thing, there's like these constant little things that, that it's almost like I heard a counselor say that he's like, we're trying to uh, keep a beach ball under the water. We're just sort of like constantly hypervigilant because we don't want to be quiet for one second because when we are, we will be deserted. The snakes come out of their basket. So you can't go to the bathroom without your phone. <laughs> right? I just hit a nerve. I felt it. I just... Beep, beep. All the regrets, the guilt, the unfinished project, all the aspirations, all the things, all the stupid things we've done, faces of people we've run over or run by, the little incessant voices reminding us that we haven't done enough, that we're phonies. I think that's a better picture of this woman. She's pathetic. When you say someone's pathetic, we say it as like a curse, but that's not how, that's not how, that's not the word's original meaning. Pathetic means to arouse pity. And this woman aroused the pity of God. Like all the broken puzzle pieces. You can't put the puzzle back together. You ever feel like inside you're like this puzzle that you're trying to put together? 
Like, and you can't. And you're like, give me like another year. I'm going to get this puzzle. I'm getting my job, my family, my house, all these different things. I've got the puzzle. We're going to get, we're working on it. We're working on it. I was using that illustration with someone uh, a long time ago. And he, he looked at me and he said like, yeah, yeah, I can understand the puzzle thing you're saying, preacher. But like, my puzzle pieces are on fire. Uh, yeah, uh, like you're right. I can't even touch my puzzle pieces. It's pathetic. Arouse pity. We're pitiful. It's pitiful. This woman's pitiful. You know, if you're not pitiful, you'll never meet Jesus. That's how it works. That's why it's offensive. Songs give us the permission. Our pop songs give us the permission to be pathetic. We let someone else sing our pity. That's what we do. That's why we love them so much, or at least for me. The best ones are the most pathetic, the most pitiful songs. From my earliest memories, ELO, Telephone Line. You heard that song? Unbelievably beautiful song. But have you heard the words? Hello? How are you? Have you been all right? Through all these lonely Lonely, 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 lonely nights. That's what I'd say. I'd tell you everything if you'd pick up the telephone. Hey, how you feeling? Are you still the same? Don't you realize the things that we did, we did, were all for real, not a dream? I just can't believe they've all faded out of view. Telephone, line, give me some time. Here's the thing, the whole song, he never is actually talking to anyone. In the song, the whole song, he says, like, just pick up the phone. I'm living in twilight. That's the way humanity feels, thrown, waiting for someone to pick up the phone. Nashville, it's the land of no callbacks. It's the land of the, of the eternal ring. And we're all looking for it. See, we let our song, see, that song that you listen to, like Phil Collins' Against All Odds, my guilty pleasure song. That song is an expression of the way this woman feels. How can I just let you walk away? Just let you leave without a trace. When I stand here taking every breath with you, you're the only one that really knew me at all. You feel it? You never thought that maybe like your deepest longings when you turn the radio on and the songs that like hit you the hardest or singing to the deepest part of you, the darkest part of you, you're longing to be known and to be loved and to matter and to be seen. And then we go out and have these illegitimate ways of having all of our needs met. But then there's the deep love of Jesus. Here they are right next to each other. Second point, the deep love of Jesus. Is there something flying over here? <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> Verse three, he left Judea 
and departed again for Galilee. Verse 4, y'all look at this. This may be the most important part of this. He had to pass through Samaria. The little Greek word there, he had to. Jewish rabbis normally bypassed Samaria and took a long way. They didn't want to go through it. They didn't even want to get Samaritan dirt on their sandals. They went around it. Jesus had to pass through it. He had to pass through it. He was going there for her. Puzzle pieces on fire. Right there. Jesus answered in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So I want to say a few things about the love of God that meets you right now. Because I think a lot of us think about God's love as being something that's out there that we're going to get to or we're going to have one day when we experience it. That's thoroughly unbiblical. The living water is present tense with the Holy Spirit. The living water is God's love for you right where you are. Right, not 1023. He had to pass through Samaria, which means this. His love is near. Very near. There's a writer, theologian named Kenneth Bailey. And listen to what he says. By deliberately sitting on the well without a bucket, Jesus placed himself strategically to be in need of whomever appeared with the necessary equipment. The woman approached. On seeing her, Jesus was expected, it's customary, to withdraw himself a distance of at least 20 feet, indicating that it was both safe and culturally appropriate for her to approach the well. Jesus did not move. She approached anyway. Then comes a surprise. Jesus asks her for a drink. He breaks the social taboo against talking to women. You weren't even allowed to make eye contact with a woman in a public place like that. A man and woman that was completely, he just walks right through that, t- that one. Because he had to. He ignored 500-year-old 500 500 hostility developed between Jews and Samaritans. They didn't even drink out of the same cup. So Jesus could have been considered defiled by drinking from her bucket. He so totally humbles himself that he needs her services. This is a different kind of love here. Jesus does not establish his initial relationship with her by explaining how she needs him and his message. Rather, his opening line means, I'm weak. Help. Here's the good news. Jesus comes to us more pathetic than we are. (laughs) That's why we miss him. We think it's like something we need to get to or achieve. That's the way, we, that's the way our world works. But what it actually is, he, he's actually down here. Here she is, thirsty and clueless. But he goes near, he goes under her. 
That's what his love is like. That's the real God. And it's not only his love is not only near, it, it's true. He tells her, go call your husband and come here. Because it was inappropriate to ever talk to a woman without her husband. What he says is, go call your, go call your husband and come here. And she says, I don't have a husband. You can tell by her curt, quick response that that like really hit her. I don't have a husband. She, he says, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're with now is not your husband. What you've said is true. And I love this. This is kind of like, I think this is kind of funny because it's so human. She immediately changes the subject. It's like, you've had five husbands. He speaks her greatest hurt, shame into the air, real time, boom. Like, I just came here to get water, peeps. And he speaks, he puts the puzzle on the floor. And, she's, and she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. As preachers, as pastors, that do, that's what happens. When you get, sometimes when you're really close to someone, they're like, oh yeah, it's, really, it's been really humid today. It's not the heat, it's the humidity. That's what she does. She changes the subject because he's gotten so close because he's gotten so near. But he's different than me. He's different than anyone because he speaks the truth not to humiliate or expose. He speaks the truth to free and heal you. Nothing keeps you as lonely as your secrets. We have all these things that we've done and we wanted to do but we didn't do. We have our strengths and our weaknesses. We have our soul-shattering memories. We give and we give and it's not enough. And our things that we do, we try to do them and like they don't work out sometimes the way we want them to. I always feel like life is just around the corner from like getting right. I'm 43. I don't, it's not getting right. Have y'all figured it out? We need to have coffee. But Jesus meets you right where you are. He speaks the greatest truth to you, which shows us something. Not only is his love near, not only is his love true, it speaks, it, it speaks our secrets into being. It's deeper than our sin. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. Rolling as a mighty ocean. And so there's this talk about Jacob. She wants to talk about Jacob. She wants to talk about all these different things she's talking about. Because that, by the way, that would have been the only place of pride that she would have had. Like, hey, we've got Jacob's well. That's like, that's like our only thing. Right? Like being from Arkansas. Like all I have is like, oh, Johnny Cash is from here. No, he's not from Tennessee. No, he's from Arkansas. It's like the only thing we can brag about is that Jacob had this well, this thing. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm greater than Jacob. That's what he's saying. And my love is deeper than your sin, just like it's deeper than this well. That's like water to a dry soul. I was at McDougal's a couple of weeks ago. That's a good way to start a sentence. The chicken place over there, a couple of weeks ago, having lunch. And uh, I was walking out of McDougal's. And if you haven't been to McDougal's recently, 
if you look to your right as you're walking down the ramp, there is a massive crater. Like between like Posh and McDougal's, there is an enormous, very impressive block size hole. And as I was walking down, I just sort of looked at it. And then I looked at it. I was like, oh, that's, that's, oh, that's deeper than I, that's deeper than I even thought. It's, it's scary deep. It was so deep that as I was walking, walking by, I saw this guy who was like working in the thing. He was sort of like doing traffic or something. And he looked at me and, he, and I, we made eye contact. And I was like, oh, and he was like, yeah, right? Yeah. And here's what happened. This is a, because I was thinking about this sermon. It's like we have Nashville up here above the ground, our life. Think about all your stuff, all your good intentions, all your bad intentions, your past, your present, your future, all those different things, all the comparison, all your sins, all those things. We, we, we operate on this realm. Here's the love of God. It's underneath and it is forever, and it will swallow your story whole. If you're living thinking that your story and your sin is the only true thing about you, oh, look at this God who meets you right where you are, whatever you've done, great surprise this is like a surprise he's doing almost the the glorious sense of humor that he has that he had to go through Samaria and go to this well and he was so tired that he has to be in need of this woman to have this conversation and the whole time it's like he's carrying this surprise party in his soul and it's like he's saying to her surprise you're not alone Surprise, you don't have to fix yourself. Surprise, you don't have to atone for your sin. Surprise, you don't have to look for something to fix the puzzle inside of you. God has come near to you. Surprise. So what do we do with that? I'll close with this. There's a great quote from Henry Nouwen in his book, The Inner Voice of Love. And he says, where you are most human, most yourself, weakest, there Jesus lives. Bringing your fearful self home is bringing Jesus home. God seems distant to so many of us it's because we are so distant from ourselves. We think he's like everybody else. We think we have to impress him. He will only meet you in the place of thirst. He'll only meet you in the place of thirst. And so one of the reasons God feels abstract Unreal is because we don't want to be thirsty. But the Spirit of Jesus takes all of our defenses apart 
Just look at this story. He comes into our chaos. He comes into the boat, right? In the storm. He's in the places where you feel most cursed. I'm going to say that again. He's in the places where you feel most cursed. Because he wants his love to go underneath it deeper than that. Now. Because you are never going to put that puzzle together. This is what spiritual renewal is. This is not just conversion. This is the growth. It's going deeper and 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 deeper into your need and into his love. That's growth. That's maturity. Deeper and deeper into the hole. And here's what you're going to say to Jesus. Where have you been? I've been down here the whole time. Where is he? Where are you like this woman? Where are you like this woman? Or have you assigned her to the floozy land over here? Where are you like her? Because that's where Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's where he is. He's waiting on you. I love you right there. Practically, let me be practical for one minute. I can't believe it. I'm actually being practical. I see some of my students in here. They're like amazed. How do you actually do that? Most, like, most of my students are like engineer types. They're like great poet guy. <laughs> Turn your phone off for five minutes. Ten minutes. All your distractions. Just look at your distractions just for a second. Ask God to show you your need in the silence. And what will happen to you in Christ is that you will have an artesian that is something that doesn't even need a pump anymore. That no matter how chaotic and sad and broken and sinful you see, there's more water to wash you and quench you. Because here's the thing. You're never outrunning his love. And so we go into the chaos. Loved. Let's pray.